This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Some local officials have decided that we need to spray pesticide all over the landscape in order to combat West Nile virus. This caused a big stink a couple of years ago, and, and local officials promised they would listen to people's input uh, a little more closely this time, but they went out and did it again. If this was a good method or a proven method of combating West Nile virus, well, that would be one thing. But uh, this correspondent's degrees in biological science and medicine render him very skeptical. We're going to have a talk a little bit later in the program with someone well-known to the listenership here at KDVS because he's our former general manager. Currently, Paul Shramsky is State Director of Pesticide Watch and the Pesticide Watch Education Fund. Paul's editorial in last week's Sacramento News and Review titled Failed Experiments Over SAC caught our eye, and we, uh, of course, put a call into him, and we will be speaking with Paul about this issue uh, in a few minutes. We want to start early in the show by mentioning that we did make an error on last week's program, and we were promptly caught on it. I never got out of the studio before a phone call came in. Everything we said about uh, the late Brooke Astor was correct, and everything we said about the Cole Porter musical Anything Goes was correct. Uh, but the inference that the person named in the song You're the Top was the same Brooke Astor was faulty. Aww. We'll clarify that a little bit later. Let us commence the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is August 23rd. On August 23rd in 1305, William Wallace, who fought for Scottish independence against English King Edward I, is put on trial for treason. In his defiant defense, Wallace said he could never have been a traitor to Edward because he was never his subject. While this was a statement that resonated through history, it proved to be insufficient legal defense. Uh, Wallace was found guilty and hanged. On this date in 1833, Great Britain abolished slavery in its colonies all around the world. Something the U.S. government unfortunately failed to follow the lead on, um, which uh, led directly to the Civil War in 1861. And on this date in 1939, the twin dictatorships of Hitler's Germany and Stalin's Russia signed a non-aggression pact. The world was stunned by this development, uh, given the dictator's allegedly diametrically opposed ideologies. The von Ribbentrop-Molotov non-aggression pact led immediately to the outbreak of World War II. Because on September 1st, the two dictatorships ganged up on Poland, with the Nazis invading from the West and the Soviets invading from the East. Supporters of Bolshevism around the world were outraged that Joseph Stalin would enter into any kind of league with the fascist dictator Hitler. Stalin later claimed he was just buying for time, yet when the Nazis invaded in June of 1941, he was surprised. And we'd like to refer you to our own website uh, for... Uh, a great interview we did a couple years back with Konstantin Pleshikov about his book titled Stalin's Folly, The Tragic First Ten Days of World War II on the Eastern Front, which talks about what happened when Hitler finally broke that non-aggression pact. Our quote of the day comes from French writer Vicomte de Chateaubriand, who once said, You're not superior just because you see the world in an odious light. 
We agree that does not make you superior, and you should try not to do that. Our quip of the day comes from that email that was being sent out not so long ago titled Zen Sarcasm. We like this one. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Our joke of the day is as follows. A trooper sees a car alongside the road. The driver has laid out several road flares and he's changed a tire. Trooper asks if he's okay. Driver says yes, but he does need to run along for a children's show at the Shrine Hospital. He's a juggler. A juggler, says the trooper. Man says, yeah, it picks up the flares. The trooper is impressed by the spectacle of the motorist flipping these flares expertly when a pickup truck pulls up. The driver staggers out and climbs to the back of the squad car. The trooper asks the guy what the hell he thinks he's doing. Guy says, you might as well take me to jail. There ain't no way I'm going to pass that drunk test. All right, we can't resist a few more funny moments, courtesy of Radar Magazine, which in last week's issue had a very funny thing called the Radar 100. In this case, 100 reasons you're single. Why is your love life going to the dog, asks the magazine. Possibly because you dot dot dot. Initiate line dances. (laughs) Why are you single? Well, possibly because you own a calendar featuring babies dressed as cowboys. Why are you still single? Well, maybe it's because you sleep on WWF sheets. So why is your love life going to the dogs? Well, possibly because you are the president of a fan club. Or possibly because you have been edited out of several Girls Gone Wild videos. Why are you still single? Well, maybe it's because you display samurai swords in your office. Or possibly because you have more than zero stuffed animals on your bed. All right, final three choices from the Radar Magazine 100 Reasons You're Single. Well, possibly because you get visibly angry during Apple versus PC debates. Or it may be because you raise iguanas. And finally, why are you single? Well, possibly because you are learning to play the bagpipes. Anyway, think about some of those before you go sign up for eHarmony.com. There, there, there may be an easy fix. Of course, in fairness, there was one item on the list that does not appear to be fixable. 100 Reasons You're Single, possibly because you are O.J. Simpson. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for divorce lawyers. When, according to the Associated Press and spokesman for divorce lawyers, in this case, Jacqueline Barnett, the EasyPass electronic toll collection system operating in the 12 states in the Northeast and Midwest is apparently being used by divorce lawyers to prove that spouses lied about their whereabouts. Said the aforementioned spokesman, Jacqueline Barnett, it's an easy way to show you took the off-ramp to adultery. Well, we would argue, possibly not. I wonder how many folks like in Ohio are going to wind up in divorce court because they snuck off the interstate to go to Howard Johnson's and get some donuts. 
Well, we'll have to explore that possibility in a future show. Last week's being called a bad week for consumer outrage after a Georgia woman called police to complain about some of the low-quality crack cocaine she just purchased from a street vendor. Unfortunately, this led directly to Juanita Jones being charged with possession of crack. And finally, it was an ugly week for defrocking after a Catholic priest was arrested in Colorado for jogging in the nude around a high school track an hour before sunrise. The Reverend Robert Whipsky, 53, told police that he sweats too much if he jogs while clothed. Nevertheless, said Whipsky, I know what I did was wrong. Only in America file, we have the following. The National Rifle Association is pressuring President Bush to veto a bill that would prohibit suspected terrorists from purchasing firearms. Now, we can't confirm this, but we assume that the purchase of box cutters, conversely, well, is something that they're all over prohibiting. And Mr. McMillan reminds me, I almost forgot our stat of the day, which uh, I think will be the following. Women who get breast implants are three times more likely to commit suicide later on, according to a new study done by the International Epidemiology Institute in Maryland. Researchers say the problem's not the implants themselves, but rather the fact that women with poor self-esteem, distorted body image, or other psychological problems are more likely to seek a cure through implants. It was noted that while bigger breasts may give them a temporary boost, about a decade after surgery, their old feelings of ugliness and worthlessness return. Well, we, we don't know about that, but we do know that breast augmentation is the most popular form of cosmetic surgery in the U.S., and evidently uh, opting for implants in 2006 were 329,000 American women. All right, and a bit of campus news, uh, courtesy of the UC Davis College of Biological Sciences magazine, which they send me courtesy of the fact that I did get a degree in bioscience back in the Pleistocene era. But uh, the College of Biological Sciences recognized Dr. Mark Wheelis, senior lecturer in microbiology with the CBS's 2007 Faculty Teaching Award. Dr. Wheelis is an expert on biological and chemical weapons and the history of biological warfare, a topic which we uh, spoke with him about back in 2003. Dr. Wheelis has been consistently rated highly by students throughout his career. He's the well-known co-author of the book, The Cartoon Guide to Genetics, and his latest writing project is a general microbiology textbook set for release in the fall of 2008. Item from the miscellaneous file we've been sitting on for months. Uh, I think it's time we got to it. I noted last February that a group called the Terror-Free Oil Initiative had opened what it said was the nation's first terror-free gas stations in West Omaha. The organization says that gasoline made from Middle East oil funds terrorism, so it buys from Sinclair Oil Corporation, which gets most of its oil from the U.S. and Canada. Here's a more recent item that caught our eye, in fact, from the Sacramento Bee last Sunday. Editorial Pages had an article by Nancy Duff Campbell. She's evidently the co-president of the National Women's Law Center. And uh, the editorial piece was titled, Wall Street Titans Should Pay Fair Share of Taxes. To which we would add, 
duh. But as pointed out in the B and by Evan Thomas and Daniel Gross in the January 23rd issue of Newsweek, turns out all these private equity partnerships uh, are paying taxes at the capital gains rate of 15% rather than the 35% charged on ordinary income, the sort of thing that uh, most of us get taxed on. Nancy Campbell noted that when a woman earning just over $40,000 per year is in a higher tax bracket than millionaire bosses at hedge funds, something is deeply wrong. But she notes that there is a movement afoot by these same titans of industry to perpetuate the iniquity by moving in on Washington with an army of lobbyists to maintain the tax advantage they currently enjoy and exploit. Newsweek had noted that the current poster boy or target of the private equity world is Steve Schwartzman, recently dubbed by Fortune magazine as the new king of Wall Street. Schwartzman is not known for his patience. He was recently caricatured by the Wall Street Journal for angrily complaining about the squeak of a waiter's shoe. Schwartzman controls about $88 billion as the head of the Blackstone Group, and he's resented by some Wall Streeters for flaunting his wealth and then cashing in with the recent IPO at Blackstone, which drew some unwanted attention to the private equity's uh, low tax rate. Evidently, for Mr. Schwartzman's 60th birthday party, his wife, Christine, arranged to have the cavernous hall of the 7th Regiment Armory decorated as a replica of their 35-room, 13-bathroom apartment on Park Avenue. A replica down to the old master's on the wall. Now at this gig, apparently Rod Stewart performed, Patti LaBelle sang Happy Birthday, backed by the Abyssinian Baptist Church Choir. Well, not to say that uh, Schwartzman considers himself to be a privileged individual, but we would note that he was in the skull and bones at Yale just a year behind George W. Bush. Coincidence or conspiracy? You, you, You make the call. But I did enjoy Nancy Campbell's article noting that in the press and on Capitol Hill, these Wall Street titans are trying to muddle the debate by claiming that, uh, that the carried interest that they earn is, is not compensation. And, of course, they're eager to point out that uh, making them pay taxes at the same rate as other workers would hurt those workers who have put their retirement money in pension funds. This does raise that question again of why can't we go to a flat rate income tax? I know that a lot of people on the left oppose this because they feel that if you make more money, you should pay a higher percentage of taxes. And you do, up to a point. But it's clear that after a certain point, the process again begins to reverse itself. Personally, most people I know would love to pay only 15% uh, of their income as tax to the government. You know, it's just, it's just too simple of an idea to implement, I think. Well, actually, no, that's not it at all. In spite of the fact that uh, the people that have lots of money like to tell you that they pay more than their fair share, if that were true, they would be eager to have a flat rate tax now, wouldn't they? If they were paying more than their fair share, wouldn't they like to get down to only paying just their fair share and no more? And uh, speaking of shaping public opinion, we love the fact that uh, this new technology at Wikipedia, which allowed you to figure out who was making the edits, <laughs> revealed that uh, a lot of folks with vested interests were stepping in and changing the text. We are not surprised by this here at Radio Parallax because uh, we've observed in years past that a lot of people 
who are professional massagers of public opinion, like to go on the Internet and do battle. One, uh, one can learn some interesting things, though, by tracing, the, tracing these, uh, these changes out. Apparently in 2004, someone using a computer at ExxonMobil made substantial changes to a description of the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska, playing down its impact on the area's wildlife and casting a positive light on the compensation payments the company had made to victims of the spill. Of course, the PR guy for the company said uh, that although revisions appear to have come from an ExxonMobil computer, the company has more than 80,000 employees around the world, making it more than a difficult task to figure out who made the changes. Spokesman Gant Walton said ExxonMobil employees, quote, are not authorized to update Wikipedia with company computers without company endorsement. Well, I guess that clarifies it. If somebody using a company computer did those changes, he had company endorsement. Well, that's how I read it. I'm sure Gant Walton has another take. All right, and final note for this segment, we're going to try and get Secretary of State Deborah Bowen on this program to explain what she's doing to benefit all of us when it comes to electronic voting machines. Someone needs to sit down and talk to Kevin Yamamura at the B Capital Bureau. Uh, his spin in the headline, Touchscreen Voting Faces Fuzzy Future. Yamamura starts out talking about how, boy, back in 1982, people were casting ballots by filling in circles on paper. Quoting Eve Roberson, described as a Santa Rosa election activist, if you can believe this, we hand-counted them. We did not have a computer back then. Yamamura wrote, computers are everywhere now, yet most California voters will return to filling in circles on paper just like three decades ago. I, I don't know. I, I filled in bubbles until pretty recently. I punched out cards. That's a lot better system than touchscreen voting, and Kevin Yamamura should know that. If he doesn't know that, someone needs to explain that to him. Any listeners out there work at the B? Will you please go down and talk to Kevin? Anyway, as Kim Alexander pointed out in the article, president of the California Voter Foundation, and we've spoken to Kim on this program in the past, vendors should and could build machines with the security built in from the ground up. They didn't do that. Well, no, they certainly didn't. Anyway, I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Let's take a short break and come back and talk about pesticide spraying. Stay tuned for Paul Shramsky, state director of Pesticide Watch.